Good morning, everybody. My name is Nick. I'm the youth pastor, and I'm going to be bringing the message this morning. Um, I'm very excited to do this. And again, I, every time I come up, I want to just thank Doug for letting me do this. I'm the youth pastor. I only get to do this about four or five times a year with you guys. And so I'm just very grateful for him to let me be up here. Today, I'm here to talk about our vision. Last week, Doug came and presented to you the mission, which was creating a community connected to God and others. And today, we're going to talk about our vision. So I'm going to need help. I'm going to need help. I'm going to need some audience participation. And here's how it's going to work, okay? Up here, you see our vision, filling every neighborhood with the good news of God's love. We're going to break it up into some sections, okay? Whenever I ask the question, what our vision, what is our vision, this is what's going to happen. This side of the room, this section of chairs will say the word filling. Let's try it. What is our vision? Very good. And then guess what you guys are going to get to say? You're going to say, I know it's confusing, every neighborhood. All right, so let's try it just to break it a minute. What is our vision? Very good. And then over here, you're going to say, with the good news. So let's try it. With the what? With the, very good. And then the last section over here is going to say, of God's love. All right. Of God's love, with the good news, every neighborhood. Let's try it. Church, what is our vision? Church, what is our vision? All right. We're going to do that a few times. We're going to do that a few times. So I'm here to talk about vision. Let me quickly just give you an explanation what the difference is between a mission and a vision. All right. Our mission is what we plan to do. We plan to create a community connected to God and others. The vision is what could happen if we fulfill the mission. If we create a community connected to God and others, it's possible that we could fill every neighborhood with the good news of God's love. Many years ago, a man named Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Yeah. Oprah Winfrey, when she was 22, was fired from a TV network because she was unfit for TV. Okay. Steven Spielberg, the creator of such movies as like Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, E.T., and of course, I'm sure you're all thinking it, Harry and the Hendersons. He was... He was rejected from film school three times. All of these people started with a blank sheet of paper, an empty camera, a set of tools, an idea. And because they had a vision and they followed it, they changed the world. Vision is like an architect staring at an empty lot. We walk by, we see grass, we see dirt, we see trees. An architect looks at that empty lot and sees a building, complete and being used for its intended purpose. Vision is what drives us, what guides us. It puts a fire and a burning in our hearts to complete that mission. It causes us to want to grow and change in whatever way is needed to create that, to complete the vision and mission. It causes us to want to sacrifice, to lay things down so that we might move forward more quickly. It causes us to focus, to laser in on that which is needed. It causes us to let go of that which holds us back. We need a big, ambitious vision. One that seems 
unattainable. One that seems impossible or at least extremely difficult. Church, what is our vision? All right. Now, if we are going to fill our neighborhoods, we need to know something important about them. According to Pew Research Foundation from 2007 to 2014, this is nationwide. People who say that they are absolutely certain that God exists in our country went, this is over seven years, went from 71% to 63%. We lost about 25 million people who believe that God exists. And the religiously unaffiliated, or what some people call the nuns, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S, went from 16% to 23%. About 73 million more people in our country now have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Let's bring it in closer to our own community. Denton County and Collin County. There are 410,266,000 total 676,516 people that identify themselves as Christians. That ain't bad. That's a pretty good situation. And the religiously unaffiliated, the nuns, as we call them, 768,439 of our neighbors claim no belief. They say we don't believe in anything. See, people, this is what we are dealing with. We are dealing with a growing group of nuns, people who have heard it before but don't really want to hear it again. People who think that the grace of Jesus Christ couldn't possibly apply to them because they've seen too much. They've experienced too much. They've done too much. They've had too much pain. People who have been hurt by the church. People who misunderstand this and they see Christians as bigots and homophobes and see the church as Trump-loving, immigrant-hating, wall-building, science-rejecting, hypocritical, ignorant traditionalists who build enormous sanctuaries to suit their own vanity while the community around them suffers. Is this who we are? No! It is not who we are. But people, we have to come to grips with the fact that many of these Nuns, many of these 768,439 people see us that way. They drive by churches and scoff. That is not who we are. That is not what we have been saved to be. However, we do not go out and meet these nuns and let our love for them reverse the tide, that relationship between us and them will harden and grow worse and worse. In John chapter 4, Jesus introduced himself to a young woman at a well. And this woman was no ordinary woman. She was a Samaritan. Let me give you a little history on Samaritans. Seventy years after the southern kingdom of Judah fell to Babylon in 600 BC, a remnant of 43,000 were allowed to return to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. 
Now the northern kingdom, what they called the Samaritans at that time, they had fallen much earlier, and they had blended with their Assyrian oppressors. And these people, the Samaritans, opposed Jerusalem being rebuilt. And the Jews hated them for it. They hated them for that. They hated them for mingling with their oppressors. They hated them for marrying within that community. They hated them for so many things. And for 550 years after that, they did not deal with each other. They had their spot. The Jews had their own. Jews and Samaritans did not talk. They did not spend time together. They did not see each other and nod. They hated each other. And Jesus walked into a Samaritan city where he should not have been. He talked with a woman that he should not have spoken to. And he planted a seed where he was not allowed to. And something happened. At the end of this story, in John chapter 4, 39 to 41, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did. So that when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It doesn't, doesn't say he performed miracles. It doesn't say he brought all his disciples in and did great things. It just says he stayed with them and spoke to them. These people who were rejected, despised, left alone, considered unclean, considered unworthy, he walked up to one, engaged her, stayed with them, and that community was forever changed. Church, what is our vision? Let's break this into three parts. We're going to talk about filling. We're going to talk about every neighborhood. We're going to talk about with the good news of God's love. What does it mean to fill your neighborhood? I think it means to start small. Jesus didn't go and gather all of his disciples, all of his believers and say, hey guys, we're going to go take over Samaria. He started talking to a single person. He walked up to one woman and she invited him into his, her town and he talked to a couple more. And then they talked to a couple more and then he talked to a couple more. It starts small. Engage, invite, serve, love. We all live in a place where there are people living next door to us. We call them neighbors. Do you know them? Do you know their names? Do you know what their jobs are? Do you know what they struggle with? When Rachel and I started to go and meet our neighbors, we were a little surprised because just a couple doors down was this wonderful family with a kid the same age as one of ours, but the stories that they told us about their lives were heartbreaking and difficult to believe that just two doors down from us there was this amount of 
pain and misery and sorrow. And then two doors down the other way, it's the exact same difficult situation. Right around your home, I guarantee you there are people in need of the gospel. Go to your neighbors. Meet them, greet them, talk to them. Bring them something. Invite them to your home. Do something. Don't just do what I'm telling you. Do something. Dream about something you can do to bring the good news of God's love to your neighbors. Rachel and I, we go to Austin Street every month. Austin Street is a homeless shelter in downtown Dallas. We used to go with the youth, but we've moved on to a new service project. And now Rachel and I, we make food and we go, and we'd love for you to come with us. Come with us and meet these people who don't have enough money to have a place to live, who can't figure out how to get an identification card, who are addicted to things, who can't seem to get their lives together, who haven't spoken to their children in decades. Build relationships so that as it says in the story of the Samaritan woman, they hear it for themselves. Because I'm I think we can all agree that when people hear about Christianity from non-Christians, it doesn't go well. They begin to believe those things I listed before. And when the Samaritans talked about Jews, they did not talk about them in a good light. There was hatred on both sides. But when they heard for themselves, they changed. Take your story your voice, your saved soul into a place and let them hear for themselves what we're really about. Break the barriers we have set up and engage the people behind them. What does every neighborhood need? Well, let me give you some, on, some information here. In our church, we have around 205 people that live in Dallas County, Carrollton, Farmers Branch, Dallas, Capella, Addison. About 302 in Denton County, Carrollton, Louisville, the Colony, Flower Mound, Little Elm, Lake Dallas, Double Oak, Hickory Creek. About 171 in Collin County, Carrollton, Plano, Frisco, Allen, McKinney. So why don't we start there? Let's start there. Let's start where we are. And then like a boulder in a lake, we will ripple out into DFW, Texas, America, the world. That's why we didn't say filling most neighborhoods. We didn't say filling some neighborhoods, filling the neighborhoods around us. We said filling every neighborhood. From Willow Bend to Cambodia, every neighborhood needs the good news of God's love. And let's talk about that last part, the good news of God's love. I decided that I'm not capable of explaining God's love to you, so I'm going to let the scripture do it. I'm going to read you a few things that talk about how much God loves us. And it is that love that we are to take out into our neighborhoods. Zephaniah 3, Ze didn't think I was going to start with Zephaniah, did you? Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. 
He will exult over you with loud singing. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Psalm 86.15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. John 3, 16 to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Romans 8, 37 to 39. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And lastly, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friend's church. God loves you, and he loves them, and he loves them, and he loves them, and he loves them. He loves all. Church, what is our vision? Now we need people to follow it. Luke 10, 2 says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jim Collins says great vision without great people is irrelevant. Here's an interesting fact. Nationwide, Christians who read scripture weekly was up 4% in the last seven years. Christians who attend weekly study or prayer groups is up 5%. Christians who share their faith weekly is up 2%. These aren't amazing numbers, but they're numbers. And that, to me, when I read that, it showed me something that I already knew. That when we truly dedicate ourselves to Christ, it multiplies. When we truly invest our time and our energy and our love in the God who created us, it multiplies. Because therein lies true results. We do not see results from our faith if we are a weekly prayer. Once a week is not going to do it. Just like if you have a friend you only talk to once a week, that relationship isn't going anywhere. It's just not going to work. You're an acquaintance at best. When we see people truly giving in to the nitty-gritty of their faith and actually devoting time and energy into the love and relationship they have with Christ, it multiplies. So in order to do that, here's what we need to do. As it says in Romans 12, 1-2, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Lay down your time. Lay down your energy, your plans, your dreams, your money, your things, all these things that you think are so valuable, which are not because they're so temporary. Lay it down. Let yourself be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. I love this line. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We renew our mind through prayer, through scripture, through learning, through seeking, through trying to get closer. So that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our man Paul in the Bible was classic example of what a living sacrifice was that man had dreams he had a plan we've been talking about paul a lot with the youth but this man his whole life was dedicated to god he would have had most if not all of the old testament memorized because he was going to be a pharisee he was going to be important he was going to be somebody who meant something and saved the Jews from these weird Christians that are ruining them. And then he had a vision. And that flipped on a dime. And he laid all of that down and counted it as loss. And moved forward towards this new vision. And he lays out his ministry strategy in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win them. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul didn't care what he liked or what he didn't like. He laid his preferences down. He laid his personal identity down. And said, I'll do whatever I gotta do. I will serve whoever I have to serve. I will visit whoever I have to visit. I will talk however I have to talk. I will look however I have to look to win those who need to be won. I think if we read this in a more contemporary context, it might say I would choose to be a Republican so I might win the Republicans. I might choose to be a Democrat so that I might win the Democrats. I might choose to do this that I might win. It doesn't say hold firm to your preferences, to your ideals. It says present yourself as a living sacrifice. That by all means I might save some. Church, if we can truly become a community connected to God and others, we might actually be able to go out and fulfill the vision. So today when you go home, I want you to walk outside your house, stand out in front of your house, and like an architect looking at an empty lot, I want you to look at your neighborhoods. And I want you to dream. Just stand there and look and dream about a community connected to God and others. 
Because if you think that mission is just about the people inside this building, then you've misunderstood. It's about everybody. Walk outside your house, stand out there, and look at an empty lot and dream of something unbelievable. I'm going to close with the final words that we get from Paul, the final admonition that he gives to his disciple, Timothy. Because I think it's relevant to us. I want it to be a charge and a call on your lives. You would hear what Paul had to say to Timothy as he knew that he was leaving the world. The last thing that he could give this, this young man that needed encouragement, he said this. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. These are the days that we live in, my friends. There are 768,000 people outside those doors who have no belief. And those numbers, I want them to weigh on you. I want them to burden you. I want them to make you feel uncomfortable. So you might, we all might, shake off whatever bonds are holding us back from reaching them we might break through whatever walls either they or we have set up and go and engage and reverse the tide so that we don't look back in a few centuries and say, man, I remember the days when we could actually talk to you. Let us not become like the Samaritans and the Jews. There is no wedge that needs to exist. Let us break that barrier before it's set up. Church, I ask you one more time, what is our vision?